Welcome to A Drink with a Friend. I'm Seth Haynes. And I'm Tish Oxenreiter. Tish, what are you drinking today? It's been a while since I've uh, poured this for myself. I am drinking my pretend apple cider vinegar mocktail. Um, it is good for you and it's tasty. So for listeners who are maybe late to the game and are just now listening or have forgotten, it is a splash of apple cider vinegar, a hit of sea salt, a squeeze of lime, and a fizzy drink of your choice. And it tastes so much better than it sounds. Uh, maybe we should make a drink with a friend recipe book. Ooh, you, could, you could have this. You could have your drink. I could have my Keurig coffee. You know, take <laughs> take pod, put in, press button. Uh, or right. we could have the the my uh, oat milk uh, latte from downstairs. You know, take cash, go downstairs. Order like See these recipes; they just come to me. I like it. This is good. This yeah. is good. I so mean, we yeah. should explore that. I think people would probably buy the crap out of that book. Probably Christmas gift. Yeah, all right. The way. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, what are you drinking today? Well, I feel like we don't have enough sound effects on this show. Mm. So to that end. Nice. Nice. I will need to add that. I don't, yeah. I don't even know if you heard what that is. Uh, it is not beer. Um, because I wrote a book about that. Right. Uh, it How is, do it is yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, but it is <laughs> sparkling water from uh, La Croix. La Croix? How do you, I don't La even know. La, La Croix. La Croix? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not French, nor is the water. So whatever. Right. Um, right. It, it's, uh, lime. It's lime flavored nice. La Croix today. So I'm drinking. That works. Lime flavored LaCroix because it gives you, as my son says, it's like the ghost of a soda. Oh, he's not wrong. But yeah, two out of three of my kids hate fizzy water for that reason. Yeah, it's the ghost of a soda. It gives you all the fun feelings of drinking a soda, except for it's just water. (laughs) Right, except it's not soda and it's, yeah, not going to put you in an early grave. Well, maybe it will. I don't know. It probably will. Probably will. All right, Seth, what are we talking about today? Well, you know, in the last episode, we talked about the art that we consume during the fall. And on that episode, we sort of discussed how, you know, sort of the consumption of art, certain art has a fall type of feel to it. Um, And I know that you're a very seasonal person. I know that you love seasons. You write books about seasons. You read books about seasons, in fact. (laughs) Um, one of your books that you have, uh, you know, just said the virtues of over and over again, what's that word I'm looking for? Expounded on the virtues of, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's it, is uh, extolled. One of the books uh, that you have extolled the virtues of is Anthony Doerr's Four Seasons in Rome. Yeah. So all these seasonal things. And it leads me to ask the question, um, what, what, what is the season, what kind of seasonal effect is there on the art that we create? Um, mm-hmm. and so today I kind of want to talk about that. Like, is your art different in the fall than it is in the summer? And if so, how, and if how, why? Yeah. I love this topic because yes, I love the seasons just because I'm 
that kind of person, but I think we all are seasonal, even if we're not aware of it. You know, we um, live seasonally, obviously with the four literal seasons of winter, spring, summer, fall, but we also are seasonal just creatures of habit. You know, um, if we have kids, we tend to live into the rhythm of a school year. And if we've ever been to school, we tend to think in terms of a school year long after we've graduated. Um, we have seasons in our lives, you know, like older, younger, empty nest, full of kids at home. And so we all lean into particular seasons and let our life thusly reflect those seasons um, really without our knowledge a lot of times. So yes, I'm a seasonal person, but we all are. And so to me, this topic is fantastic because yeah, my art for sure is different in the fall than it is in other seasons. And I'll bet you anything, all our listeners are too. And I'm using the word art really broadly because yes, I'm a writer, but I think of a lot of the different ways of life that can be done artfully um, when we're talking about this. So listeners don't feel like this isn't about you because it for sure is. How about you, Seth? Yeah. Well, first of all, we've talked about that a lot, I think on the show, or at least I've kind of talked about that a lot. I mean, there, everyone has a different art, right? Like when we talk about uh, art, there is this idea that it's hoity toity, but I mean, art is everything from, you know, writing to painting uh, to cross stitching, which, I don't know. I I don't cross stitch, but maybe <laughs> there's somebody out there who does. Um, just to cooking, making music. Um, all, there are all kinds of different arts, and you know, some people even are like really, really good at uh, business and creating in the business context, and that's a form of art too, right? And yeah. so, um, I don't. We don't want to foreclose the idea of art simply because it's not a visual media or an, an audio media. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and for me, I would say definitely my art is very different as the seasons go, and a lot of it has to do with time. You know, I have mm-hmm. probably the majority of uh, you know my year um, is pretty busy with work. Um, and there are probably about, I don't know, three solid months of time a year that I'm like really artistically productive spread out over the course of the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm about to enter into one of those seasons in November to, you know, early January time is one of those really amazing seasons. Again, I'll have another one in the summer and I'll have another one maybe in the spring I have one. So I have these like significant spurts of artistic energy uh, that happen maybe three or four times a year, maybe five times a year. I don't know. And I don't know why that is, but it is. To me, art is very seasonal. And it doesn't mean I don't produce other times. It doesn't mean I don't create at other times. I do. Um, but I know that like from November to January will be a very creative time for me. It just will be. It's just always has been. So, um, yeah. yeah. So I don't I don't know uh, why, yeah. but it's that way. Well, you know, the the theme we talk about here is sacramentality, right? Peeling back the layer to see what's really there. Um, and if we believe that art is a sacramental, um, you know, lowercase s, and I believe it is, then if it's something we can peel back the layer to see what's really there, I think what we can see is both the result and perhaps the story behind what it was like to create that. So, you know, when you read, for I mean, Four Seasons in, when you read something like Four Seasons in Rome, that's a great uh, example. He wrote it 
while he was living in Rome for a year to work on all the light we cannot see, which is kind of a fun meta situation. Um, but when you read it, you can't help but enjoy the finished product and think about how it was made. So to me, that was that's a great um, byproduct of the art and what tends to make something seasonal. Like, what was it like to create this movie, to bake this cake, to to knit this sweater? Um, and what was the reason behind it? And so for me, fall art embodies a certain, I guess, maybe method, but maybe a little bit more motive behind mm what it is I do. I don't know. Does that make any sense? Yeah. So what does that look like for you practically? Yeah. When I think about fall um, in terms of just like the type of season it is, I think a lot of um, rhythms and homemaking, Um, you know, I'm a homebody, but I love to travel. I work outside the home. I dabble in a lot of little things, but there's something about home. I mean, there's something about the fall to me that feels like a season of preparation. I don't know if this is like we're heading into Advent before too long, and that's definitely the preparation for Christmas. Um, but fall just to me feels like prepping for the holidays. And so prepping to me feels like a form of homemaking, but I don't mean that in a Laura Ingalls Wilder kind of don the apron and milk the cows kind of way, because I think we all can do I mean not that there's anything wrong with that I'm all for that kind of thing believe me that sounds fantastic right now but to me there's just something about the idea of um I don't know creating art that looks inward in order to create a space of rest and a space of welcome you know mm-hmm. for the people that live here for people that perhaps you're going to have over a la company mm. so yeah rhythms and homemakings is reflective in the kind of art I do in the fall so yeah, I don't I don't know. It's just kind of a weird. Maybe that's the season of life I'm in with kids at school and and being a teacher and and whatever it is. But that's me. How about you? Um, yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's more about introspection and and so for me again, like I think we talked about this in the last episode. Uh, for me, I'm creating things that are more internally looking. If I go and look at my you know typical from November to January creative spurt for whatever reason. It tends to be more spiritual in nature and more internal, um, mm-hmm. whereas my my spring summer creativity tends to be more external outputs. It's more, you know, it may be writing for a book, it may be writing short stories, it may be mucking around with this novel, it may be anything. Um, but typically, this season is more internally uh, focused, and I think it's the mm-hmm. same way. Like in my in my kitchen, you know, I I do a lot of the cooking at home and the fall season, it's not, the food's not even all that different. Although we do a lot more stews, uh, a lot more slow cooking of meats, um, a lot more onion chopping uh, than we would in the summer. Um, At least I do. And, but there's just a slower, lower quality about it. Everything takes a little bit more time. And so I'm in the kitchen a little bit longer. It's a little bit quieter. It's the same way too. You know, we start to get uh, the cold weather and you get cooped up inside and I'll grab my guitar because I can't, I'm not going to go outside and walk around. I'm not going to do the things. And so um, you just play a little bit sadder music, a little bit slower, a lot more improvisation. I mean, it just, it Mm -hmm. it just is the season for that sort of introspective creation. And that's kind of how I've, how I've always rolled. 
It's kind of funny you say that about the colder weather. For me, being in Texas, this is the season when I'm finally getting to go back outside and not want to die, right? And so for me, I feel like my art tends to be a little more nature-bound, like a little bit more noticing seasons because I, I honestly, in my journal this past weekend, I wrote, like, I'm making it official. I am not gardening from mid-August to (laughs) mid-October. I just decided I'm going to stop fighting it because here it's just so hard to do that that's just going to be my fallow season. Um, And so, you know, while a lot of listeners, it's probably like January through March or something for us, it's just, it's then. That almost feels like a bit of a winter. So weirdly, fall feels like, it doesn't feel like spring. It just feels like the start of new a little bit. Okay. Um, Yeah. And so like this weekend, I'm going to be working in the garden. I'm going to be getting, you know, doing our fall planting. Um, And to me, that's a form of art. So in a way, it's it's introspective, but it's also, um, I don't know, leaning into rhythms of nurturing, kind of like preparing for the winter by way of letting it create for me Um, because I can grow things here in the winter. Um, The leaves here don't change till Thanksgiving. And so to me, it's almost like looking out for that coming up. So yeah, everything's a little askew, but it still feels like fall to me because that's just what fall is here in Texas. Yeah. Is there, this is kind of a sidebar. It has nothing to do with art um, unless you're a barista. Is there ever pumpkin spice season there in Austin? Well, meaning like, do they literally have it? Because yeah, mid uh, mid August. I mean, but is it <laughs> yeah. actually pumpkin spice season? I definitely don't touch anything like that till October because it just doesn't seem it doesn't like the mouth feel, the taste. <laughs> Nothing works with shorts and flip flops like uh, less than pumpkin spice, right? Um, right. But like three oh nine, the coffee shop um, by my house, it has a drink called Sweater Weather. And it's fantastic. I get it iced, though. Huh. What <laughs> is it? Is this Dave and Karen again? This is Dave and Karen. Yeah. Oh, Dave um, and Karen. You just make me so happy. <laughs> they make a fantastic drink. And so it's um, it's very fallish, but it tastes okay to me. I guess it's, it's a weird experience. And, you know, m- listeners that have moved probably have this experience because I, you know, have lived in Oregon where there's a definitive fall at the right fall time, right? You know, Um Whenever just seasons start meaning different things, uh, to me, it just feels like fall to have an iced, you know, cinnamony drink. Yeah. Because that's just the way it is here. So um, I don't know. It doesn't feel strange. When we talk about art and creation of things, art is the creation of things, right? Can we agree on that definition? Yeah. So Dave and Karen are creating uh, a thing, uh, sweater weather. What is is sweater weather? What is that flavor profile? Um, It's... The, it's got a little bit of orange to it, it the syrup, kind of an orange um, concentrate with cardamom and cinnamon and nutmeg. Oh, so, and it's coffee. Yeah, it's coffee. Yeah, yeah. So you have the you have the warm coffee, which can be very folly. You have these fall flavors all, and then a splash of orange, which feels like a very Austin. It's like a dash yeah. of Austin art. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Dave yeah, and Karen, good. way to go. Always, <laughs> always giving uh, shouts out to Dave and Karen who are doing it right there at 309. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when, when you think of um, creation in Austin, it's really funny because that there, there is a different sort of fall creation where you are, you know, than where we are. I mean, we're, we're mm-hmm. not planting a lot 
for the fall this year. And some of that's because Amber's uh, moved into flowers a little bit more than vegetables. Um, and some of that's just like, we had such a weird fall and winter last year that it's so unpredictable. You know, we had right. February, you know, whatever, was it January or February? We had 20 some odd the inches freak. of snow and yeah, we had that too. Snow apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And it can really dash your uh, hopes and dreams. All the best laid plans of fall. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. turn to nothing. So I'm curious, since we're relating this to art and that art can really broadly have so much more to do than just, you know, the classic art. And because you're also a dad, do do you see a connection with the school year and how you create or does that not really apply to you? Oh, man, that 100% applies to me. I love school breaks because I have a hard (laughs) time creating when, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on duty in the mornings. Like I'm the one that that for the most part, except for on Fridays, uh, we, we do a little switcheroo, but in the mornings I let Amber sort of do her creation if I'm not working too much, um, which I am right now. So right now she's taking on some of that, some of that duty, but, um, in the mornings I get up super early, um, and I really only have like an hour to myself. And so by the time I do anything spiritual, I mean, I'm getting the kids up. Um, not that I'm like in deep contemplative prayer for an hour, there's a solid set of minutes there where I'm drinking coffee and trying to wake up. So right. um, in the, in the, you know, whenever they're on school breaks, whether that's a fall break or winter break or summer break, um, I have a lot more time to myself. And so I'm able to exercise a lot more creative time in the mornings. Um, and so really this season also ends up being a really good season for poetry for me and for, mm-hmm. um, you know, photography for things that, that rely on short uh, spats of time. You know, I can go outside and find a beautiful poem with some really intriguing colors and moody skies and take that photo. Or I can sit down for, you know, 20 minutes and write a poem and and sort of craft around it. Um, whereas, again, maybe this is why I spend a lot more time working on short stories and, and things in the, the spring and the uh, summer. Um, you know, I may have two and a half hours in the morning before I have to go to work and before anybody gets up. So um, I just have a lot more time. And so that that definitely has an impact. And it has an impact on my mood, if I'm being honest. It's mm. like, if I'm not creating, I'm not super happy. And it's really hard to create sometimes yeah. Um, yeah. in this season. What about you? 100%. And I think um, it's encouraging to hear that. I, I think that's just part of the normal, you know, rhythms of parenting is that we bend to the rhythms of our family life. So yeah, um, you know, I used to be frustrated by it, like, dang it, kid, you're up. You know, I, I have an early morning kid. And he's just a chatty. I mean, he's delightful, but he's my talker. And so yeah. he just likes to just say what he's thinking. And that would start feeling like, well, gosh, you just threw off my my morning time of getting any sort of art done. Um, but I'm, I've learned over the past few years to embrace that to where um, these limitations are forced. You know, what's, what's that theory about like the, the thing you have to do takes up the amount of space you give it, whatever yeah, that's called. Right. There's a theory behind that. I think that's true with our art too. I'm not saying that there's not something lovely about having an open afternoon or, or really tweaking something for a while. But sometimes when you just need to say, this is it, this is my piece, this is my essay, this is my, 
you know, sewing project, whatever it is. And this is the amount of time I have. So this is what I'm going to do. That's just kind of nice. You know, um, I, I thought of this just this past weekend, I was in the mood to bake and I wanted to do something that would have taken me hours, but I just didn't have the time. So instead I made pumpkin bread and it was fine. Like yeah. it, it, it was good enough. And so to me, a lot of my fall art is quote good enough, but it yeah. actually is better than good enough. I yeah. just needed that limitation, even though I didn't know it. Yeah, no, I totally yeah. get that. I totally get that. And I think that is characteristic of fall. Fall for me is a lot of unfinished poems, a mm-hmm. lot of unfinished writing, a lot of ideas. Um, you know, and I think some of that is just when you, when you are in that introspective space, um, yeah, you just have a lot more thoughts, a lot more ideas. You can't, and you can't get to it all, especially with the schedule of the fall. Um, yeah. And it's got to be okay. You have to be okay to let some of that stuff go. And you know what? I mean, this might be weird, but sometimes I almost end up getting more done when I have less time. Like when I look at the summer and I have all this time to just like read for hours at a time or yeah. just like, I don't know, go on a hike or whatever. I just, I end up getting less done than when it's a school year and I have like three hours to get this piece written. I'm just going to get it done. It's weird. Totally. So what is one thing that you're working on this fall? Um, Well, I am starting a piece right now that's going to be in America Magazine about the upcoming holiday season. So I call it art because it's not so much like a think piece or or straight up journalism. It's a lot more about what does it mean with our um, supply chain shortage? Mm. What what does it mean to um, approach the holidays, you know, as people who give things um, with that in mind? So I'm, I'm being a little bit reflective on that, but I'm also um, working on, I, I had to, finish a chapter in a collaborative piece, uh, a collaborative work that I did for Word on Fire. So now I've um, switched back to my novel. And it's kind of fun to get to work on it because it, at least the first part does take place in the fall. And so um, it feels very fallish and very um, appropriate to be writing it right now. But I will admit that it is hard to write a novel in the fall for all the reasons we've mentioned. Yeah, Because, um, you know, I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes I need to like read what I've written for an hour before I know what I'm going to say next. But then I have, you know, an hour and a half to write. So I can't do that. So it's a little bit of a tricky business doing that. But yeah, that's what I'm working on at the moment, along with just reading a lot of the old books that I mentioned in the last episode that I teach for this um, school year. So I'm reading Frankenstein, finish Shakespeare, reading Pride and Prejudice, all that. And that affects the kind of art I create. So it makes it a little bit, mm, I don't know, moodier and this year, Britisher, because that's Britisher. what I'm more of. That Britisher, is that's good. a word that I just made up. That is great. Everything is, yeah. sorry, British people who are listening to this show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I like Britisher. <laughs> I'm going to start using that a whole lot. Too. How about you? Well, what are you working on right now? Before we say that, let me just say, I'm glad you're working on your novel. Would you please finish this so I can read it? Oh my gosh, you and me both. I just I need to just get it over with already. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for people to read it. So I'm, I'm I, I will do my best. It. Okay. Yep. All right. Yep, yep. Uh, listeners, hold Tish accountable. Um, <laughs> so I'm working on a little bit too much. Yeah, as you know, we've we've talked about this. I've got a lot of work on my plate right now, which is uh, eating up all my time. Um, yeah. But that aside, Amber and I are working on our first book to write to get to together. 
Um, cool. It's not a marriage book. And yet it is so many things about marriage, but not, but yes. Um, <laughs> the title is um, to be announced later. We'll not yeah. announce it now. Um, and so that's kind of our big creative push. I've, we've taken a few weeks off just because of my workload, but um, I think we're about halfway finished. So we have halfway more to go. Very and cool. that's what we're working on. And it feels very fall. It feels very introspective. It's appropriate to the season. And I think it's going to be enjoyable. It's a book of essays uh, about what it means to sort of experience hope through the sacramental things of the world. That's very cool. Do you know when we might get to read it? I think next fall. Hey, perfect. All right. And I'll let you know. I'll let everyone here know because that is uh, that's what you're supposed to do as a writer. You're supposed to tell everybody... <laughs> This is when the book comes out. Pre-order it now, but you can't pre-order it yeah. now. You have to wait till later. It wait till it exists first. Yeah, right. you have to wait till it exists. That's the thing. Actually, that's the beautiful thing about Amazon. You don't even have to wait till it exists anymore. You just have to <laughs> wait till it's listed on Amazon. That is the weirdest thing if you've ever had that happen, where it's like, oh, it shoot, is. I guess I should finish the book. It's listed. yeah, it's uh-huh. the most bizarre thing ever. Like, hey, yeah. it's not even <laughs> through copy edits yet. How is this possible? Right, right. Oh, terrifying. I love it. Mm, yes, indeed. All right. So, Seth, what is it that you are reading, watching, or listening to right now that's adding a little beauty to your life? This is going to seem like a strange pick, not going to lie. But right. are you familiar with the HBO documentary uh, on the weight loss cult called The Way Down? No, I don't it's- know anything about it. Tell me more fascinating. Okay. Um, so there was this uh, thing I vaguely remember from when I was, you know, maybe in high school and it was like this, I can't remember, it was the name of this like weight loss program. It was like a Christian weight loss program or something. I do remember that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I can't remember the name of it. It was like, there were several of them, but there was one that was really huge and they would do these workshops everywhere. And the woman, um, I can't, her name was Gwen something. I can't remember her name either. See, I'm doing this show, Terrible Injustice. Um, (laughs) But she parlayed her weight loss program into a weight loss church, air quotes, which kind of became like a cult outside Mm of uh, Nashville in Brentwood, Tennessee. Um, Hmm. And there's this entire documentary. It's, it's, I think it's supposed to be five uh, episodes, but they've only released three so far and the next two are coming in 2022. Um, and it's about this woman who started this weight loss church slash cult. And it sounds like, why would this add beauty to your life? Like, I get it, right? Like, it's terrible. The things sure. they describe are terrible in it. But it has, <laughs> it has opened up some amazing conversations with my kids about how yeah. do you discern um, what is true and what is not true. And Mm. one of my kids the other day said, you know, I just don't understand how you can just up and decide that um, you have a new take on the Bible that nobody else ever thought about before, like that you have a new scriptural take that no one else ever considered. And so if you have like this idea that weight loss is indicative of spirituality and that it's not been a teaching of historical Christianity, then how how can that how can that all of a sudden be a teaching of Christianity? Which was a phenomenal yeah. question, right? That's your kids got some wisdom there, right? Yeah. And it's one of those things that's like opening the doors to much bigger conversations. Like, how can you mm-hmm. just undercut two thousand years of teachings with your own whims? 
Um, right. And I think it's really fascinating. So it's opening up some good conversations. It's also just a fascinating character study because, yo, these people yeah. are interesting <laughs> characters. <laughs> I like stuff like that. Is it a documentary or is it like one of those like trying to make it like based on a true story? No, it's a true documentary. This is like, okay. remember the Mormon murder uh, show that I recommended from Netflix? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's it's Same in idea. that vein. It's like true. Okay. It's it's true documentary. Cool. I think you can see the kind of stuff that brings truth, beauty, and goodness to my life is sometimes kind of dark. It's all right. I like it. I don't think I don't think we expect truth, beauty, and goodness to be wrapped up in a pretty bow and you know, true. happy dappy all the it's, time. That's and right. it also, it's fall. Yeah. That's right. So, uh, Tish, cool. what's one thing that you are reading, watching, or listening to that is bringing more truth, beauty, and goodness to your life? A few weeks ago, I asked my readers of my newsletter, um, The Commonplace, if they had a suggestion for a short novel I could read in a few days. The reason is because we had our school's fall break and I wanted something I could start and finish. And one of my readers suggested a book I had never heard of called The All of It by Jeanette Hyen. Have you heard of this? No, I have not. I think you would like it. It is a sweet little Irish novella. Um, It was written in 1986, but it takes place at the turn of the 20th century. So I want to say like 1908, somewhere around then. And it is about a Catholic priest who loves to fish. And he tells the story about his parishioner, and I don't want to give a spoiler, whose um, husband dies. And so he is basically hearing the widow's true story Hmm. of what their life was really like. And he had never known this before. And she had this whole kind of, I guess you could call it sort of secret life, but it goes back and forth between fishing, salmon fishing in the nearby river and hearing this parishioner's story. And it was just such a mood lifter, not because it was um, definitely not a tied and a pretty bow kind of situation at all, but it was great storytelling. And it was um, a really great model of relationships and quiet living and nature and just character development and it was just it's a great little story so i'm so glad she recommended to me yeah i would have never known about it had she not recommended it so it's lovely who is this who is this reader her name oh the reader's name i'm gonna look it up hold on um because i i screenshotted it and i can't remember um so i will say that what really i I don't want to say what sold me on it but ann patchett wrote the forward to the new version because ann patchett is saying back she found it in some used bookstore way back in the day and found it dusted it off and it became one of her favorites so i thought well if ann patchett likes it man um so hold on i'm gonna look up her name because i don't want to mess it up it's my reader named Heather, who I think you are destined to be friends with her because she just talked about finishing a David Mitchell novel and is currently reading a Sean Smucker and recommended this Jeanette High End. So she sounds like basically you. She's yeah. my she's my people. What what David Mitchell novel did she say? Uh, Black Swan Green. Oh, yeah. Such a good book. So she said she loved it. So, yeah, because it's amazing. And it has a tie yeah. in with the bone clocks, as of course it does, because it's the Mitchell verse. Everything ties in. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. I, I, Heather, thank you for this. <laughs> I now want to read it and we'll try to yeah. read it maybe over Christmas. Maybe I'll read it over Christmas. Yeah. It's a really easy book. You can read it in one sitting. So recommend it highly. 
All right. It is time to wrap this up. You can find this episode and all episodes at adrinkwithafriend.com. If you like the show and what we're doing here, you can help keep it going by picking up the next round of drinks, which you can find the link to do in the show notes of this episode. You can find me and how to connect with me at tishoxenrider.com. Seth, where can people find you? They can find me at sethhaines.com. And can I just say, while we have the people, thanks to Ben Nye, Ben and Madison Nye, Ben, whom I know, um, uh-huh. Because he dropped a little tip there, uh, they buy us a drink uh, link. Nice, and he said yeah. so. Seth can drink something other than Diet Coke. I saw I that. Mean, that was hilarious. Ben, thank you. You're the best man. And I'm not. <laughs> I haven't had a Diet Coke since you made that comment. Yeah. No. Thank you to everybody in there who's who's been supporting. It's so fun. It, they make my day whenever I see people uh, buy us a round of drinks. It's fun. All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenreiter. And I'm Tish Oxenreiter uh, with Seth Haynes. And we'll be back here with you soon. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.